What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 183. Whew, boy, that number just keeps on going up somehow, and uh, we can't seem to stop it. But this is episode 183. I am one of your hosts, George Turn, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, the one who will never settle down in one le- one location more than a year, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you? Hey, that's a half-truth. Uh, 18 months. Uh, I am fine and dandy. Um, glad to be here on a cold winter's night. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, w- the nature of the show's numbers continuing to go up is a shock to me as it is to you. I probably should have paid <laughs> attention in math. <laughs> well, I, you know, no one told me that. No one to- I, I thought this was like, you know, they, they ticked down or something like that. But yeah. This is um, Britain's education system here, people. Thank you very much. Yes, prize (laughs) people. (laughs) You went to higher education as well, right? Uh, I mean, technically, I went to primary school, middle school, upper school, college, and then acting school. So that really suggests my trajectory of brain power. (laughs) Numeracy, not a popular topic at acting school. No, no. I can improvise with the best of them, which is why I'm a good bullshit artist. But like, like last night I was asked, hey, do you want to help me with my maths homework? Like, oh, no. Ha, no. <laughs> See, I could help you, but then you wouldn't learn anything. <laughs> exactly. I could help you how to answer questions wrongly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, no, it's a, that's an awkward part of dealing with, with children who um, honestly probably should rely on us for help, but seriously. Uh, uh, infinitely smarter than me, so it's just sort of like, okay, that's it. <laughs> How often have you used Pythagoras' theorem in your life? Not too often, I'd imagine. Exactly. Well, may, maybe. I, I barely know what it is. <laughs> yeah, longer side equals a two shorter side squared and added, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm wrong, do tell us. Um, <laughs> why? Anyway. <laughs> why do I know? I had a teacher who believed in rote learning uh, and and would make us recite that every class for like a year. Wow. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's why I remember that. And it's not exactly useful information, but it is what it is. Well, I mean, maybe it'll work in a public Oh, well, you never know. Um, I don't recall being asked at the pub trivia, but there's always a possibility. <laughs> All right, a, yeah. um, we had a hell of a show this week, I think. It's, and we've got a very interesting curveball later on that people won't be expecting. Bum, bum, bum. But, of course, we will also have binge browse them. Um, but, yeah, last week we talked about what, – what did we talk about? Shit, what was that train movie last week? Oh, Leon, uh, Leon the, Prof- the Professor, which has been in the news this week. Yes, it has. It seems that um, the sins of Luc Besson have come back to haunt him. And uh, Naki Portman has um, said comments about uh, sort of like reviewing old works and seeing how creepy and uncomfortable they really are, which I think makes sense considering what we're talking about. It's interesting how we are transcending. We are transit. It's just like it just randomly picks something and um 
<laughs> Joe Blow so often stealing the, our ideas. Well, someone someone swatched the show and thought, I'm going to have a chat to Natalie Portman about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, we talked about Leon the Professional and Travis got to choose the chain movie of the week and he chose an Oliver Stone, a bit of a classic, Talk Radio, which is one that I don't think you've seen before, have you? No, no I, I have not. But um, the 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 main main character, main actor, was a face that I recognised and a voice that I recognised for sure. Um, he cameoed in Scrubs as Doctor Cox's um, psychologist, and there's connection there with John C. McGinley. Um, but beyond talk radio, we have also got Elizabeth Banks's latest directorial effort, Cocaine Bear. And Travis pulls the I'm moving again card, and I've watched this, so you guys <laughs> too, <laughs> which is What's Your Number on Disney Plus? <clears throat> yeah, I noticed you forgot to mention that that one's a classic uh, as well. Uh, oh, did so, I? I could have sworn I said it. Not obviously an oversight there. Not a quintessential early 2010s rom com starring. Anna Faris and um, Chris Evans. No, 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 absolutely. But let's get on with the show. Let's talk about talk radio, the last place where we can come together as a neighborhood and talk about things. That's right. Uh, a, rude, a rude, contemptuous talk show host becomes overwhelmed by the hatred that surrounds his program just before it goes national. The longer synopsis, an acerbic radio talk show host based in Dallas starts what could be an important few days when he discovers his controversial late night show is about to be picked up by a nationwide network of radio stations. However, not all is not perfect for him because on top of troubles with his love life and fears that management of network will try to alter the content of his show. He has to mm. hope for neo-Nazi group who have been angered by his forthright opinions. Mm-hmm. He said starring uh, Eric Bogosian, Ellen Green, John McGinley, Alec Baldwin in there, Zach Grenier. Some of these mm. names you won't recognize. Uh, Michael Wincott, a very, very young Michael Wincott. Yeah, barely recognizable and, through all that hair. <laughs> and like, we were watching it, and we were going, oh, I recognize him. And then I went, oh, my God, that's Michael Wincott. And then I had to explain uh, to Michelle who that was. And then I realized this film features two people who shot and killed someone on a movie set. Who's the other person? Alec Baldwin. Oh shit! Yeah, of course he did. Rust, right? <laughs> shit. There's a claim. There's a claim to fame for you. Um, <laughs> Actors who have legitimately shot, accidentally killed people. Kills, accident, wow. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, very accidentally in the case of um, uh, of uh, Michael, Michael Wilcock, Wilcock. Uh, who was also in Note, which you talked about. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, he was fantastic in that. Um, now, Eric is based on a play written by Eric Bogosian. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I think so. Um, and he wrote, he based his play on a book by an author named Stephen Singular mm. um, about an actual, this actually, this is based on a true story about a, a, um, a talk, uh, a talk uh, radio host um, in California, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, well, no spoilers for it in the 40 year old film, but he was shot and killed as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, once you kind of know, um, it's um, with the nature, once you realize 
the title of a book that it's based on. It kind of does give away the ending of a film. The book title is called Talk to Death. Yep. And you kind of go, well, you're not leaving a whole lot to the imagination there. Um, don't also. need my superpower. Uh, you don't. Um, this is a an interesting film. Uh, very different kind of production for Oliver Stone, we mentioned. Mm. Uh, it made in 1988. So mm-hmm. he probably wasn't the mega, mega huge star or director that he is later, though he had come off a pretty good run of films. Yep. Um, he um, we had Platoon in 1986, mm-hmm. Wall Street in 87. Uh, into talk radio the year after born on the 4th of july the doors jfk yeah. heaven and earth natural born killers and then yeah. kind of the, the, the inevitable decline after that into you know films like any given sunday and world trade center and money, <laughs> eventually landing on money never sleeps he doesn't work much anymore um no. make a lot of feature films anymore um but you know well i mean he always he always likes to kind of go after kind of politically charged topics. And I suppose, you know, um, I'm surprised that he hasn't tried to make a movie about Trump. I'm uh, sure he'd be tempted. Yeah. Uh, th- th- otherwise, it's sort of like, okay, maybe, maybe he sees it as too potentially damaging to him to, to challenge some of the things that are in the social zeitgeist at the moment, like particularly we're coming off of Me Too movement and um, equal rights for everyone and things like that. There's there's a lot of kind of big red buttons socially that um, he might just be scared to touching, even though it could actually inspire some interesting conversation. But it's not as if I... it's not particularly inspired debate, more just him preaching his opinion. That's generally speaking how it goes. So. I'm mm. surprised it's been four years since Trump left office and there <laughs> hasn't been a Trump film to date. Um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we had the, um, the, the Comey rule with uh, Jeff Daniels and, and Brian Cox in there. Was it Brian Cox? I can't remember. But um, uh, other than that, it's been pretty yeah. slim pickings. Uh, maybe people are afraid. Um, maybe. maybe. But, um, but mm. uh, either way, this is an interestingly lower key film in amongst that sort of run everyone remembers platoon you know, the mm. famous scene you know uh wall street great uh, good yeah um porn on the fourth of july maybe lesser known but tom cruise got an oscar nod for that so mm. it's part One of his, his um yeah he's he's vietnam films the doors mm-hmm. again maybe not so well remembered now but certainly very famous at the time mm-hmm. jfk you could forget yeah. you know seinfeld made fun of it and stuff but yeah. this is an interestingly low key one in the sense it's a very claustrophobic film and and and, and maybe it <laughs> suffers a little bit from feeling a bit too much like a play. There is, I think, only one or two scenes that take place outside of a recording studio, um, and frankly, they feel tacked on. Kind um, of, yeah. Uh, I think but, the, the, the real strong suit. I think this film works best when it's in that. It's a sort of a. Mm. A yin and a yang here a little bit in the sense it does feel like very much like a play. Yeah. Um, it's been converted, very play-ish. But yes, it's the strongest when it's doing that. It feels that's the strongest yeah. part of a film is in that studio and the drama surrounding <laughs> the actual talk radio studio. When they pick the story up and go outside, 
Mm-hmm. It, it, as I said, it feels tacked on. It just sort of feels like, uh, well, you we need to make this a little bit more cinematic and, you know, and maybe flatten out the story a little bit about who Barry is. Uh, Barry, yeah. uh, the character played by Eric Bogosian here, is the caustic, um, shock jock kind of character. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we see him go out to a basketball game where he meets people who are after him. And what's his autograph? We see him meeting with his ex-wife. And these sort of just don't these sort of angles don't seem to go anywhere for me. What did you make mm. of them? I I agree with you that it definitely does feel like a stage play, but at the same time, Oliver Stone getting in nice and close, and particularly as the as the the film comes to its climax, the real close up shots of just the studio kind of slowly spinning around him as he's talking and talking and just spewing poison. Um, it really works well to get you just in that sensation, in that feel, and with the moments where it's like close up side angle shot of him talking into the microphone and then it's juxtaposed with his ex-wife just off the side. So it's got that level of kind of intimacy to things. That's something that you can't truly replicate in a theater. So I imagine those bits being kind of better than in the theater, but yeah, as soon as it goes out of the studio, it's always just like, all right, this is slow. Um, the scene in the where we kind of meet the the beginnings of Barry's um, talk career when he's a suit salesman, um, I appreciated that as like, okay, where did this guy come from? But I didn't need it. I didn't feel like it. I needed it at all, and sort of spoilers for a movie so old is he he goes on and talks about how he doesn't he's very uh self-obsessed and about self-serving and being his own and you know he can throw everyone to the wayside that's all that those early scenes kind of really did so we didn't need it because we were literally told it in the movie in the moment and it's like okay and it's not even a very long movie it's an hour and 50 mm. but if it had just trimmed those bits away, I think it would have been a lean, mean fighting machine. I think you're right. Uh, I did have to take issue with the um, the scenes in the suit store. It just Eric Bogosian's wig. Uh, I mean, um, <laughs> he looked like Brian May. <laughs> just kind of just sent his wig in and just gone. There you go. <laughs> um, there was a. Uh, there was a. Uh, a radio show here for a while um mm. uh which um very not pc anymore but mm. uh it was on on one of the radio stations here where there's a particular uh, dj had a character called uh guido hatsis who would uh, ring up and prank people okay. um and uh yeah it's exactly what eric bogosian looked like i'm just going to share a picture of what guido hatsis they released actual albums of this guy prank calling people. Uh, wow. um, and I'm like, that is what Guido has. Let me find a bit of picture here. Um, what the hell? <laughs> he won an Aria, which is like the Australian um, the Australian Grammy. Um, <laughs> okay. And that's exact, um, so that's exactly what he's going like. Oh, you look exactly like Guido Hatzis. You would not make that. It's basically a, a DJ pretending to be 
someone of southern european descent called prank calling people and you're like mm, i don't think it's cool anymore I'm like, that wig <laughs> is fucking terrible um mm -hmm. but anyway uh we'll give that a pass in this one yeah the rest of the rest of his performance is outstanding i think he's the real core of his film um, and he is he's um eric bogosian as barry is just fully in it his kind of manic eyes even when he's just kind of sitting still he's he's always doing something and always kind of it's, it's like he's on cocaine or something he cannot sit still and he's he's just twitchy all the time he's he's listening for for snippets of conversation that he can just latch onto and just vomit on it's brilliantly done um other than that i think the cast is a bit generic alec baldwin has his moments as a sleazy studio um radio station executive that was yeah. kind of what alec baldwin specialized in there for a long time if you've ever seen uh glenn gary glenn ross exactly you know, where... um yep. kind of the similar type of character to this one maybe slightly less aggressive um yeah. john mcginley didn't have a lot to work with um the the only other actor uh, we mentioned him earlier who really stood out to me was michael Wincott's character so yeah. he plays he actually plays a few characters in his he plays um some of the characters who ring in uh mm. and do the uh voice act some of the um the yeah. ringing callers but his main role is in the role of kent who is who prank calls barry one night and says his girlfriend's dead and barry calls his bluff um he, he calls back for next night and barry kind of for some reason takes a shine to him and invites him into the studio and he turns up and ends up co-hosting his show for a while and it's he's truly as you said behind the hair speaking of crazy wigs um <laughs> uh, kind of a Just really a mess bit about his look that kind of reminded me of a, of a young slash from guns and roses but, but yeah. at the same time there was just a just a hint of like jack sparrow in there <laughs> it was yes very good it was so I, I, I would, uh, but i apart from a puppet fort in here and then park it for a second ago yeah I don't really understand why he did that. I don't really understand the character's motivation to have Kent come into the studio. Uh, other than to say, I liked what Michael Wincott did with the character. I liked what Michael did with the character for sure. I liked the scenes. And I think just me kind of armchair producing would be that I think Barry saw this guy as a possible similarly to him the way that he was manipulating the truth to to do what he wanted to do and maybe he saw a bit of his younger self in there which is gives credence to why we saw the the, the time when he basically stole the show um and the, the way that it suddenly flips and he doesn't he kind of goes oh this guy i don't like this guy he's doing what i did it's exactly what the, the the crux of the story is of them uh, his audience hating him but not being able to turn him off and him not being able to quit the show um and that very toxic relationship it was kind of it just reflected that as well i think i think that was the reason for it 
That's actually a good explanation. I probably should have picked that up. Uh, I am. Um, I found the first third of his film compelling, and I'm like, I am. I'm in on this. This is really interesting stuff. Despite the fact that I think, well, maybe it's an interesting societal observation. But if you think about um, shock jocks and controversial talk radio hosts, be it in Australia or the United States, you think right-wing conservatives right yeah. you don't someone saying something controversial on radio they're almost always going to be you know a republican or a republican right-wing leaning mm-hmm. trumpers today you know think um oh, i can't think of a famous one's name but anyway they're all horrible um same here in australia we've got we've got our own version and they're almost always right-wing conservatives but barry isn't barry is very much a liberal and he's mm-hmm. He's pushing sort of very liberal perspective. You like, and so was the person the story is based on. Yeah, like that. That was an interesting angle for me, and I was finding myself really enjoying the story. Mm. Um, I think by the time he introduces his ex-wife, I think that really kills the momentum. And then we go into a series of flashbacks, and you talked about mm. the purpose of the flashbacks, and they do play a role in the film. Mm. But I think that kind of really, really grinds the story to a halt for me. I'm like, I'm in, I'm interested in who this is, what's character is, what's going to happen. And then I get a flashback to, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, did you detect anything, in that, some problems of pacing as a result of that? I did, definitely. I think that's probably more of a hang-up of its stage play beginnings because if you cut away too much of it it's like all right where do, where do we have a break do we even have a break this is all because there's a lot of dialogue that barry is just spewing and that's whew, to do that live that amount of talking non-stop that's just that's next level shit um so as a stage play it would make sense to kind of go all right you get to do this and then we'll cut back to to here where we're give you a break to stop talking <laughs> and then you can carry on i think if they had cut those bits out if they are in the play i don't know i haven't seen it, i haven't read it it may have just made the stage play too short for them to be able to actually deliver in, a, in the atypical way that stage plays are and i think that it's one of those hang-ups where so often stage plays or adaptations of any type they keep material in they just don't need because it's a different medium that they are performing to so whilst i thought they were good overall they were not necessary for the film and i think i just sort of found that i i don't do you ever listen to talk radio i should ask in australia at all or back at home no i hate radio hate radio i hate radio full stop i hate the advertising i hate the fact that my only memory of ever sort of um trying to get into it was before i had a cd player there was a time before digital boys and girls and i was still operating on cassette tapes and if i wanted to get music i would record them off the radio but all the time they'd start the song and they would just talk over the first 30 seconds or 40 seconds of it and then they cut in halfway through or cut to a commercial halfway through the song like how is no 
The people are joining you to actually listen to the songs. They don't care about what you have to say. They don't care about anything about your job except the music. So just get on with the music. And this is a bloody radio show that says that it's all about the music and nothing about the adverts. <laughs> that is me doing. I um, I, I think I think we're all we're what we all fell victims of that taping off a radio, and for and for years that particular song. Even now, when you hear it. You know, mm -hmm. you can almost hear the DJ back announcing over the end of a song that you had on that tape that yep. you listen to endlessly. Like, and that was La Bouche with Be My Lover. You're listening to Rock <laughs> FM where if it's not rock, your pizza is free. Um, you know, like, and forevermore, you, you can't help but hear that. Um, so, uh, but I do like talk radio um, mm. occasionally. Um, and I never hear calls like this. I've never heard calls like this on radio. Like, I am stunned that anyone would let anyone like this go, these kind of callers go to air. Um, even in the United States, people who are rampantly anti-Semitic, you know, like. Um, well, think about it. If we were to transplant this movie to modern day, it would just be about um, people with their own podcasts, their own um twitch channels and things like that because you go there you find it you know there are people who have been spewing this um every every part of the delightful rainbow of life that we live on right to left and all the way back round again to go full-on hobbit on this it's always there we it's now easier than ever to put your voice out there and do it and talk radio particularly in America, I can fully believe that there were areas where it's like, you know what? Yep, we're going to serve this particular genre. Or we have got someone, a host, ballsy enough and good enough with their rhetoric that they can make it entertaining like Barry does in this. And it's about profiteering. Uh, I can say 10 years ago now, Trent of the Patria and I drove from Las Vegas to Sacramento, California. Uh, and we ended up driving through, I think it was a place called Stockton, which, uh -huh. um, you know, if, if meth could take a physical form, it would look like, <laughs> it, would, it would look like Stockton, California. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. It was, you know, it was a shithole. Um, and if anyone has ever been there, please reach out to us and take take photos of what I want to know what this place looks like for that analogy. <laughs> we had to stop and get petrol there. I think we locked the doors. Um, it, it, and that was just a we, we did pick up some very interesting radio stations because Obama was still president at the time. Mm. And there were, there were people who were like playing an Obama speech and just yelling at the speech. I'm like, he's not answering you. It's a recorded speech, guys, you know, but that was what passed for talk radio in that part of California. Um, I love it. But, uh, but the calls are just horrible. And maybe you're right. I, I just don't think, though, um, and, and anything, it's not just real, not re it doesn't read as realistic to me for a commercial radio station, not a you know, fringe one out of meth, meth town, California, to, to have this kind of thing put to air. Um, I think I get that, but at the same time, this is Oliver Stone as um, as the director, and he loves having a message. And late eighties, early nineties, it was not a fun, easy breezy time. People were getting more and more riled up, and 
I think he saw an opportunity to help bring that in and he's not he's never been alone with his social commentaries in um, movies partner that up with a stage play that is it must have been a passion project for Eric to, to do this it made it made for some interesting interesting viewing I am um... I guess I, 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 what I'm edging towards here is I didn't like this very much. I found the first word interesting and entertaining enough. And I can see, you mentioned earlier, some of the cinematography was fantastic. Some mm -hmm. of the acting was sensational. Parts of it were very well written. Mm -hmm. What I kind of feel like this lacked overall was a, a story that pushed the plot, the plot along, you know, a script that pushed the plot along. There was no central story running through it other than he's going national. He's, we mentioned earlier, he was worried that Alec Baldwin's character is going to demand changes to his show um, before, you know, to make it more palatable for, for a national audience. Mm. Um, but, I mean, what is the actual story here? I mean, there's no... If, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a film called Pontypool. I don't know if I've ever forced you to watch this. Um, this is a, a zombie... I don't think I've actually ever watched it, though. This is a zombie film set in a radio station. And the entire film plays out inside the radio station. So while people are calling in and describing what's happening outside in this Canadian town as the zombie apocalypse sort of starts to happen, mm. a, form, a form of the zombie apocalypse. It's been described as the thinking man zombie film. It's one of my favorites. Now, it is very low budget and doesn't quite hold up as well today as it did maybe 10, 15, 10 12 years ago when it came out. Mm. Um, but that film had what is something that this film doesn't, despite its bigger budget and you know far more prestigious cast and director. It had a central plot that drove the story along and took mm. you on board, as opposed to sort of random shit just happening around this idea of him being nervous about going live. What did you think in terms of that? I kind of felt um, it compelling enough, and the fact that in in a way it tells a very isolated story i think it would be i think it would be more palatable as a narrative if the backstory for barry was not there because they could if they wanted to make it an hour and 50 minutes long if they wanted to do that they could have invested a little bit more time in the scenes surrounding barry and just including a bit more dialogue a bit more of that rich meaty dialogue with the people around barry just, you know, talking about how Barry is because it's supposed to be about his spiraling out of control and um, the spinning plates on sticks and they're, they're wobbling all over the place on the crux of this big thing. There's there's a lot that's kind of that ideology has been used a lot. Like you think of um, the Steve, Steve Jobs movie of those three specific points and the, the drama surrounding each of those events. This is just a, mo uh, a movie about one event. And I don't think that it has quite enough gas in the tank or focuses enough on how Barry actually is because he doesn't really show too much evolution or chaos up until the, the last, I think it's three minutes <laughs> where he's just talking and talking and talking and the camera's just rotating around the studio. It's a great sequence, but up until then, you're kind of looking at it going, okay, 
is he just having a bad day? And I think that they were going for something more subtle and nuanced compared to what Michael Douglas' character in Falling Down did of that bad day escalating and escalating mm. that bit more of slightly on the parody side. This was the sort of like toffee nosed, this is how you really do a breakdown. <laughs> and I, guess I think you've put it, I think it's a great way to put it. It didn't have enough gas in the tank, it needed more oomph to its story to really mm. care, carry us to an hour 55. Maybe you made it 90 minutes. Maybe it could have carried mm. it, but I mm. just kind of felt like it wasn't quite enough there in terms of story. I just really didn't get what they were trying to say. Michelle and I had a conversation afterwards. She's like, is it about free speech? I'm like, kind of. Um, free yeah. speech isn't free. There's a risk to doing it. And I'm like, freedom isn't free. <laughs> you cast folks like you and me. Um, but, uh, you are, I think that's as close as I can come to what this film's actually about. And if yeah. that's genuinely what Oliver Stone wanted to talk about, I think it's a bit clumsy. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely liked the, the concept and Eric, uh, Bogosian's performance was stellar, but I just think that there was not enough meat on the bones to really make it gripping edge of your seat and there's little bits that come into it every now and then to kind of push it along as sort of like oh is something going to happen but it's sort of like ah dead rat on the confederate no not, not the confederate the Nazi yeah, swastika. um and one or two other little bits that he talks about but otherwise it's like mm, okay he's having a bad day you're allowed to have a bad day uh, so an interesting little film, I think maybe it's been forgotten for good reason. I, mm, I think it's a, I think it's a worthwhile watch, particularly for any aspiring writers and directors and producers out there, because there's a lot of compelling elements to this and the simplicity of having more or less, you know, a stage play limited amount of locations this this sort of thing with this level of just intensity to it it's a great avenue for people to be able to go down as new writers directors producers because you could do this on a low budget you don't have to have a big budget to make something this like this and the performance is compelling and you can with the right amount of cinematography and direction you can really create something interesting but in and of itself talk radio it's a relic uh, of a pastime where arguably things have been done better now. I would hope so. Um, mm. Again, maybe we should be right for a remake. Yeah. I don't quite know how it would be, but it does kind of make me wonder if one of the most famous podcasters in the world could possibly be the subject of it, Joe or, or yeah, or he doesn't take calls. Um, no, maybe it's maybe a Twitch, a Twitch streamer or something like or a YouTuber. Yeah. You know, they're getting live feedback and comments from people yeah. while the show's going. Like we potentially could, if anybody listened. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you sir have the keys, and you uh, you get to pick where we go next. I do, and I am gonna be following John C. McGinley. And there are plenty of places that we could go to 
with the likes of John C. McGinley. But I have chosen one that um, skirts close to connections that we've had before, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. And I was also inspired by Cocaine Bear. It is James Mangold's Identity. Starring John Cusack and Ray Liotta. I don't believe I've ever seen this. Really? Oh. I think I've ever even heard of it. No. It is no. a bit of a, from, from my memory, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I won't go into too much detail, save for the basic synopsis. Stranded at a desolate Nevada motel during a nasty rainstorm, 10 strangers become acquainted with each other when they realize they're being killed off one by one. Okay, so mm. if you want to watch along, this is available to rent on the usual outlets, pretty much. If you're really, really keen, you can buy it from most places as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's not available to stream in Australia, so you pick, check your own local market. That, but uh, it, that sounds like this an movie has got tons of exits for you. Not only has it got James Mangold as the director, but you've got John Cusack, Ray Liotta, Amanda Peet. You've got Alfred Molina, Clea Duval, John C. McGinley. You can't use him. Jake Busey. Rebecca, Rebecca Mornay. Yeah. Sex symbol of the 80s. And Jake yeah. Busey does open up a very tempting exit into uh, Starship Troopers, if I'm not mistaken. I Have we? No, we haven't done... We haven't... Is he in such? He wasn't such a trip. Uh, all the frighteners, um, or contact. Uh, who knows? But it's, uh, as you said, um, many, yeah. many ways to go. Mm -hmm. uh, before, um, shall we move on? Let's to, move on. Uh, so you mentioned it a moment ago. The yep. it's actually a newish film. Yeah. Twenty twenty three's Cocaine Bear. Uh, an oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converge on the Georgia forest where a huge black bear goes in a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting cocaine. Now, this is loosely based on a true story. Correct. It is. Two two true stories here tonight. Yeah. Uh, and it's, there have been some, some liberties. Yes. Inspired <laughs> in part by a true event in 1985 when a corrupt Kentucky cop and lawyer turned drug smuggler, Andrew Thornton, flew in a drug smuggling run, dumping packages of cocaine over Georgia, before attempting to escape with nearly 80 pounds of it strapped to his body. However, mm. the parachute malfunctioned, possibly from the extra weight, and Thornton fell to his death in a Knoxville, Tennessee residence driveway. 40 kilos of foreign packages landed in the National Forest and were consumed by a black bear, who overdosed and most likely within minutes dying from cerebral hemorrhaging and respiratory and heart failure after eating $20 million worth. With the lone exceptions of Thornton and the bear, no other casualties have ever been reported. Now let's let's put it out there straight away, shall we? The first thing after watching this movie I realized was um, considering Elizabeth Banks was in James Gunn's Slither, it's nice that she has made her attempt at a trauma movie. Because <laughs> a little bit felt uh, like a James Gunn movie. It, it did feel like a low budget Sharknado ripoff. Yeah, almost. because special effects. Yeah. The, in the in the true story, the bear dies very quickly. In this, it lives a happy, angry life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's a it's a comedy thriller, 
that is that lends very heavily to a lot of James Gunn's style early early stuff of that of like skirting on the edges of almost momentary sketch shows. Like you've got the um the relationship between Sid White and Eddie, his son, played by Alden Ehrenreich. And it's like, oh, I'm just disappointed in you. And it's like he's trying to do these father-son sequences and it's it's funny, but it's in the situation they're in a cave being hunted by a cocaine bear. It's it's ridiculous. Um you you're right, I hadn't picked it up and it does feel like that. I, I guess something to think about, let me to be aware of when you talk about the seeing his film is none of the human characters are interesting at all. No. Um <laughs> really, really aren't. And honestly, the stories involving the human characters and their motivations are completely pointless, and I don't care, and I never cared, and yep. I was just looking forward to seeing them get eaten by the bear. Um, now, obviously, it's not completely different. <laughs> now, honestly, you know, some of that's not going to happen to you know, you, you, this is plot you've seen a bazillion times, you know, yeah, Kerry Russell playing the protective mama bear mm-hmm. against the actual, um, Black bear, which is also uh, a female bear and a, and a mother bear as well. That mm-hmm. is obviously meant very, very deliberate. And of course, she's not, not going to die. The kids are not going to die, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean they're necessarily interesting characters. They're merely tools to drive a yeah. plot forward to allow the bear more time to eat cocaine and kill people. Um, yes. I'm surprised that they didn't go full tilt boogie and have a fight sequence between mama bear and Kerry Russell mama bear, where she kind of thinks the only way to fight a bear is be like the bear. So she does a huge amount of cocaine and they just go <laughs> and then the movie ends. <laughs> and, and she, she just levels up like Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> um, there definitely would have been a, 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 it could have been potentially a great get away from her. You bitch moment. Um, uh, it, 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 it's just like this huge comical line of cocaine. Just, Get away! <laughs> I don't know that would have got past the senses. Um, <laughs> it's okay if a bear does a line, but a human, no. So the film opens in the smuggling plane. Uh, it's not really explained why the drug smuggler flying a plane, but he, he's doing it. But he's throwing packages mm. of cocaine out the side of the plane. Now, I insinuated later it was because the plane was going down. We aren't told that. He's just throwing cocaine out the fucking plane. Losing after throwing them as well. So, like, okay, is, is he just high? Is he just like, uh, yay? This yeah, is pretty much Christmas. Um, and he, when he goes to jump out of a plane, and I guess the big spoiler is here because it's like the first five minutes of a film, he conks his head and knocks himself unconscious, which is why his parachute never opens and why he ends up dead in someone's driveway. That's genuinely a funny moment, at least mm-hmm. I thought so, and so did Michelle when we were watching it. I agree. That actually kicks off what I think is one of the film's uh, great strong points. It's mm-hmm. actually funny. The jokes yes. land quite often. Yeah. Um, like I said, no one gives a crap about any of the characters. It's been written by somebody. If it had been written by somebody who's never – this has obviously been written by somebody who's never taken cocaine because if they were on cocaine when they wrote it, it would be more interesting. Um, <laughs> um, the characters are shit. No one cares. They're just there to get us from point A to point B. 
but the jokes land a lot in this film, mm-hmm. and they are James Gunn esque jokes, as you sort of noted. Think yeah. pre Guardians, James Gunn. Yes, you know uh, where someone getting or you know think of a scene in Pulp Fiction where Marvin gets shot in the head, where it's almost played for laughs. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of comedy is throughout the film. That kind of gallows humor, and it really works because I think Elizabeth Banks and the people behind it realize. You're making a film about a cocaine bear. It's called <laughs> Cocaine Bear. You cannot take this seriously. No, you can't. Um, and and cops to Elizabeth Banks, she's really done well here. She shows a real sense of how to direct comedy uh, mm-hmm. and action uh, with a CGI bear. The actors work well against something that's quite obviously not actually there. Yeah. Um, and look, I didn't see it, I'll be honest. But I heard nothing but terrible things about her Charlie's Angels film. Um, hence why I didn't see it. Um, I not subjected you to that yet. We should find a reason. Um, <laughs> oh, I can find a reason, sir. I can uh, find a reason. As can we. Uh, as can I. Um, but <laughs> uh, this one, she actually knocks it out of a park for what it is. She mm. gets it, and she mm-hmm. does it very, very well. Um, yep. What I think was interesting for me for this film, the bear isn't the bad guy. No. I mean, yes, it eats and mauls and kills a number of people. Um, But at the end of the film, the bear isn't the bad guy. And that is really quite original, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't go down the path of Jaws or any of the monster alien slash beasties gone wild things of it's a it's evil or anything like that it's it's a bear on cocaine is there a bear on cocaine at your place as well i think just be on the lookout um that's yeah there there definitely are there's a uh, some cubs in the kitchen right now uh-huh yeah <laughs> I think they might be they might be raiding the fridge. No, absolutely, what's happening? <laughs> Ice cream. Uh, performances in this, there are some good ones. Uh, as, as like I said, I don't really care for a whole lot of the characters. And that's not to say the actors involved aren't doing their best or doing good performances. Um, Kerry Russell is fine. Um, yep. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich surprises me here. I don't think I've seen him since Solo. Um, and uh, that's, I thought he was pretty decent in his role as Eddie. Uh, Ray Liotta, RIP, the last film he completed in his career. Uh, um, yeah. he was solid. He did what Ray Liotta does, chewing mm-hmm. the scenery. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed Isaiah Whitlock's Detective Bob. Um, yeah. he's in his relationship with his dog was very amusing yeah. uh, and again he's completely hamming it up mm-hmm. uh, and chewing even the scene even the kids um brooklyn Pri- uh, prince and christian convery they're not overtly annoying they minimally used and their little <laughs> their little scene where they discover the bricks of cocaine it's funny and then it's like okay yep off they're in the breeze, effectively, and they do their parts well. Uh, I, uh, I was going to say the um, just to call, Isaiah Whitlock. I, was he in The Wire? Is that why he's famous? I can't remember. Um, 
he seems so familiar to me. And yeah, no, he wasn't in the it, and I can't think where. But he um, is kind of channeling the 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 chief of detectives from uh, Last Action Hero. You know, the one who's going to go down your Hershey Highway or whatever. Um, yeah. If, if uh, and he's kind of channeling that kind of police character, and yep. I th- he again he knows what kind of film he's in. Other mm. mentions here to Margot Martindale, who plays Ranger Liz. Uh, yeah. and gets a number of laughs in her pathetic yeah. attempts to shoot the bear. Get <laughs> uh, the bear claws in her ass. <laughs> uh, and Jesse Tyler Ferguson is her boyfriend Peter. Uh, great comic timing, and he's he's obviously a pro. He was in um, was it Modern Family? I think he was in for years and years and years. Um, so. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's um he's very funny as well. So it's kind of weird. So like, but they're so cheaply written and they're so disposable. These characters, um, you really don't care. Uh, they die, but I mean, they're not offensive I, at the same time. Yeah, but then you you compare this to Piranha 3D, which we watched only a few weeks ago, and every single person is just better in this. They know the the movie they're in. They're not used. Their their characters are wafer thin but it still holds on to the the papier mache that they're slamming onto this movie around the cocaine bear it just works better than it did with piranha 3d and you know and i gotta say i don't think the cgi is necessarily all that much better than a piranha 3d i mean no. um it really because the cgi the cgi and piranha was terrible because they had that fake 3d thing put over the top of it but the bear doesn't look amazing in this, to be No, I mean, especially this, um, we're coming back to this after watching Guardians of the Galaxy 3 with Rocket and the close-ups of all the fur and everything. Cocaine Bear is not Rocket Raccoon, but it yeah. does the job. <laughs> well, yeah, and you don't care because, like, this is a B-film and it just gets all those B-films things right about it. It doesn't take itself seriously. It lands the jokes. The kills are satisfying. Mm. Uh, if you're if you're looking for a James Gunn schlock film like Slither or yeah. Super to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. um, this delivers. Like the limbs going everywhere and heads where, in buckets. Where the and, bear's paw comes through the glass and just wraps around the guy's face. It's like, oh, are we going to see a defacing? And it cuts away just the right time. It's like, oh. Well done, well played. Uh, uh, what happens to the ranger and the ambulance was just. <laughs> I found myself. I don't know why it was so funny, but it really was. It was brilliant! It was brilliant action comedy because um, it's the absurdity. <laughs> Poor Margot. <laughs> just the she. That was great. She really cops it. The other connection yeah. I found interesting here is um. The Americans, because she was in the Americans along with Kerry Russell. Um, uh, I even pop up in the same film. That's just me because I'm a complete simp for the. And Matthew Reese is in this as well. Matthew Reese plays the guy in the plane. Ah. Matthew Reese was uh, Kerry Russell's husband in the Americans. So, um, little. I don't know. That's, that seems too coincidental. You wait. Elizabeth Banks will announce an Americans movie. I'd be up for that. That was a great TV show. Um, 
Uh, no one watched it though, I think. Um, so I found this film violently entertaining, like aggressively entertaining. Uh, for a $35 million film, it did way more with that budget than it really had any business doing. And let's also point out one hour and 35 minutes. Gets in, gets out. Lo- lovely. Genuinely lovely time. Entertaining from start to finish. It knows what it's trying to do. It doesn't try and preach anything social because it's about a cocaine bear. <laughs> I don't know how many times we have to say it. It's in the title. It just knows. And it goes, yep, this is absurd. It's, it, it's almost like, you know, snakes on a plane. They're good. But better. Yeah. And I would not be surprised if there was a sequel. Let's just say that there's room for a sequel at the end of this film. <laughs> what, would, um, what, what would the name be? Uh, Cocaine Bear, Son of Coke. <laughs> I don't know. <and> then, <laughs> too bad, too buzzed or something like that. Um, oh, no. <laughs> too buzzed to hibernate. <laughs> yeah. This time you'll have to grin and bear it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, um, hire that man. <laughs> this film has made about ninety to a hundred million dollars on a 35 million dollar budget. That's a pretty good return. Um, that's bad. Uh, and that's not talking streaming. Um, you know, no. we're only you know the, whoever you know the distributors will know whether that's worthwhile. But hmm. it's made on a cheap budget. Uh, and as I said, there is space for a sequel at the end of a film who's not to say it will be but would not put it past them um mm-hmm. something you know blumhousey kind of productions that come out you know like like yeah. megan a while ago made on a super low budget makes all the money we'll get anyway. Megan. <laughs> uh so uh, that's that's a that's a definite recommend for me you get your hands on this one Absolutely. that said make sure the kids are in bed yes yes this is not a child-friendly movie um but if you don't mind a bit of blood and guts, it's an entertaining, stupid movie. <laughs> it is stupid. It's really stupid, but yep. it's fun. Yep. And sometimes speaking, that's what it needs. No, you not say speaking of fun of, and then lead no. into what I was going to say. Speaking of, I was not. I was going to say speaking of stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, I uh, we're going to move forward to. The final film of tonight, and that is 2011's What's Your Number? Mm-hmm. Uh, the One of the biggest collections of um, Marvel uh, actors outside of a Marvel film that's uh, <laughs> not ghosted. Um, uh, a woman looks back at the past 19 men she's had relationships with in her life and wonders if one of them might be her true love. Mm. Uh, as you should have noted at the start, this is with stars Anna Faris, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chris Evans, uh, shortly before he st- really starts taking on the role of um, mm-hmm. Captain America. So he really wasn't a big star at this point in time. Uh, other names in here, Blythe Danner, yep. I think is um, Gwyneth Paltrow's mother, um, Ed Begley Jr., yep. uh, jo- Joel McHale, uh, Chris You've Pratt, got Chris Zachary Pratt, Quinto. Uh, Yep. Uh, yep. Mackey's in there. Yep. Um, uh, Martin Freeman, Andy Samberg. It says yeah. it got kind of names popping up in here. Uh, Richard says stupid, really stupid, but good fun. Yeah. Uh, my entry in who's who, but I'm. 
Richard will be here all night. Trevor Veal. Um, <laughs> this is directed by Mark Mylord. Uh, we looked at his film, one of his films recently. He was a director of 2022's The Menu. Oh. And has directed 16 episodes of the um, of Succession and our Game of Thrones episodes as well. So he's gone on to... Better things. Uh, dare I say bigger and better things than this. <laughs> um, Hi, Richard. Uh, writers, uh, Karen Bosnack, um, Gabrielle Allen and Jennifer Crittenden. I can't say I'm instantly familiar with any of the work. I apologise if I should be. Mm. Um, most of them, some of them look to have worked on things like Scrubs and Veep. As producers, so yeah. maybe they're good writers. That, um, <clears throat> so Anna Faris plays Ali Darling. Uh, mm. She uh, is uh, rampantly single. Uh, is has a sister who's about to get married. Reads a news a, a magazine article at one point and says um, that you know people who have women who have more than twenty lovers are more likely to end up single. I think that's the plot point. Uh, and seeing as she just recently slept with number 19, uh -huh. uh, then 20, 20 being her boss, played by Joel McHale. Um, you, she, um, spoilers. She's, <laughs> I, I didn't finish watching this. I got 17 minutes into it, and I bet I I bet I can work out exactly what goes on. <clears throat> Please do proceed. So, yeah, she, uh, we see, we meet, um, I even forgot her name, Ali Darling. Ali. Um, and she has a, a bad start to the morning. Zachary Quinto, who's a vegetarian, breaks up with her because she invites him to his sister's wedding. And he says, oh, that seems very serious. And then she gets to work, and Joel McHale's character fires her. And it's like, oh, it's a, a series of bad cuts, blah, 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 blah. Surprise, surprise, she's the only one. And then it gets to the wedding where, surprise, surprise, <sighs> Joel McHale's character is. And he starts kind of laying it on, the, sort of like, oh, yeah, so how much do you want it? And things like that. So that's about as far as I got with actually watching the movie. So, yes, one of my predictions was she was going to shamedly sleep with John McHale. And surprise, surprise, he's not the one. And um, she meets, we have a little bit of a sneak peek of Chris Evans in the opening sequence where he's naked at the door and they develop a friendship, Bond, shall we say. <sighs> I wonder who her true love is going to be. Meanwhile, she goes back, revisits all of her exes, the ones that she can find, and finds that many of them have glown up, as they would say, or are just, yep, definitely wasn't going to work out. And there'll, there'll come a time, probably about three quarters of the way through the movie, where um, she and Chris Evans' Colin sleep together. And then it 
panics her because it's like, oh my God, it's another one. I'm going to be alone forever. He's going to freak out because he has commitment issues and they're going to like not talk to each other. And it's going to be awkward and the story's going to progress. And then he will randomly turn up at the wedding that he was previously invited to, but she wasn't sure if he would actually turn up. And then they have a romantic kiss to finish the movie. Yeah, it's about right. Um, though <laughs> I guess one of the one of the twists is she finds out that he he was number twenty after all, because one of the twenty people she had on her list finally she manages to track him down towards the end of the film, and mm-hmm. he admits that she was so drunk that they actually didn't have sex. Um, and so yeah, she's he's not one of her twenty. So uh, Chris Evans turned out to be twenty oh, after all. Uh, uh. Well, there's salvation for us all. I am. Um, look, this is this is this was not a choice of, of mine. Um, uh, I have to sometimes look. I, I subject Michelle to some god awful crap uh, mm. sometimes, and you know it, it pays and is fair of me to then take some recommendations occasionally. Um, and you know sometimes they turn out pretty good. Like quite some time ago, we talked about my fake fiance. Mm. Um, which is, is, is objectively a, a lame-ass, terrible romantic comedy, but has some of the best chemistry between two main stars that I think I've seen in the film. Outside of Vibe. Um, vibe was out there as well. Um, but, like, if you look at something like we talked a few weeks ago, was it last week about Ghosted? you got two of the biggest stars in the world who have absolutely no time for each other on screen by the scenes of it. Like, like apparently there are rumours going around that, like, when they're probably fake, but like they actually filmed their part separately and then were spliced into the frame together. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I could believe that that was so bad. Um, <laughs> and so seeing Chris Evans work here with Anna Faris, who he has significantly more chemistry with, and they actually seem to be having fun working together, which is interesting because I'm reading in the trivia here, uh, apparently Anna Faris did not have a good time working in this film because of his shoes. Um, mm. They made her character wear. To be fair, Anna Faris is always lovely in all of the movies she she's consistent she's sort of almost like sandra bullock was for a, a, a stint of her career where she was like she knows what she needs to do in the romantic comedy movies that she's in and she is charming and she seems to get on very well with everyone that she's in she's very likable she's the dollar store sandra bullock Oh, poor Anna. Come on. She's, she's <laughs> you know, what is the, what is, if you think, I think I say your name, Anna Faris. What is the first film that pops into your head? Uh, scary movie. I didn't even know she was in that. Yeah. Um, I think The House Bunny. Uh, um, yeah. Or My Super Ex Girlfriend. That one wasn't bad. Um, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> She's not exactly, she's never really quite ascended beyond the rom-com yeah. genre as being her comfortable space. Yeah. Uh, but that's not to say she's bad, and I think she does okay. Mm. Um, one of the criticisms I have of this film, mm. um, aside from it being a very predictable, you know, mm-hmm. vibe, and I was saying to, to Michelle while watching it, it's like, if you told me this film was written by ChatGPT, I would 100% believe you. Yep. Um, because it is so predictable and so formulaic and by the numbers, uh, it actually undermines a reasonably talented cast. 
Uh, yeah. And we, we can see from the, the work Mark Mylod's done later in his career, a very capable director as well. Mm. Um, if AI creates films, you're going to get this kind of thing. But one of my criticisms of a film is the emphasis on, and maybe you caught this in your first 17 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but basically the, the catalyst for the story is her reading this article about <laughs> having having slept with 20 people and uh, if, you if you sleep with more than that, you're going to end up single is kind of the insinuation. And she's obsessed and plenty, and the women in this film are obsessed with that number of people she slept with. Sometimes known <laughs> around blocks as your body count. Uh -huh. um, in reality, the people who are obsessed with this are fucking men. Let's be honest. Like I have never met a woman in my, and like I did, I went on a lot of dates after my marriage ended. Like, I can't remember. I actually have literally met people I went on dates with outside a, a year later and have absolutely no memory of meeting them or where I know them from and have had to ah. be told. That's what it's embarrassing. Um, um, but like the pe and you sort of spend some time in that culture, you learn a little about it. The people who are obsessed with body counts are fucking men. Uh, and generally, usually the, the more incelish you are, the more obsessed with that you are as well. So I never met a woman in my, you know, say they don't exist. I have never met one in my travels who actually gives a flying fuck how many people they've slept with or how many people their, their partner or, you know, potential mm -hmm. date, partner, whatever has slept with. Uh, mm -hmm. But in this film, it's flipped. It's the women's magazine she reads. It says, oh, if you sleep with a lot of people, you're going to end up single and lonely and die with cats, you know, um, you know all of <laughs> Her friends get moralistic, a little moralistic about it. I'm like, oh my god, you've slept with twenty people. Oh my god, um, you know, uh, it's it's the it's the women in this film, the characters who are the ones obsessed with it. And I think that's a flaw in the film because all the men in the film don't give a fuck. Particularly even <laughs> a sleazebag like Chris Evans, uh, who's you know played plays up the ultimate sleazebag. He doesn't care one thing about where, how many people mm. uh, Ali has slept with. Um, She's the one who's obsessed and she's the one who makes a problem of it. And that just does not match reality at all. It's a, I know it's film, it's film can be fantastic, but I'm like, that just doesn't ring true to me. It doesn't make any sense um, to me that, that it, none of the men in the film care about this. It's just her. So um, look, let, let's just put it this way. This movie existed with this particular balance so that Wonder Woman 84 could survive. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna leave it alone. <laughs> uh, and plus, also, curse, shame on you for making me think of that awful, awful film. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I'll say this now I'm gonna give George a pass on this one because I was a little bit rude of me to say I have, as you can see behind me, significant boxes and stuff to moving house to actually pop this one on him to watch. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I could. It would be possible for me to go. He didn't watch the film. I have the, uh, the film he needs to watch, but I'm not going to do that because we know how it worked out with a pirate movie. Um, and trust me, the next one I've got for you is worse than that. <clears throat> anyway, um, <laughs> it's he didn't miss a great deal other than to say it was interesting to see all these actors turn up pre-Marvel. Um, um, 
and especially Anthony Mackie was almost unrecognizable. He was so young. <laughs> it was only a few years before he was in Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is uh, worth mentioning, or just an interesting observation, mm. Chris Evans is a fucking movie star. It's yep. really interesting. He really dominates the screen in this film. He is, it's interesting to watch someone like that, even early in their career, go, wow, you watch this film, you, Anna Faris is doing what Anna Faris does best, but he just mm. shines on screen. He's got so much charisma. The camera loves him. Even against someone, I'm a really big fan of Joel McHale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tried to make that transition into movie star, but he just he's in the shadow of her. Yep. Anyway, if you do, would you would you recommend this based on the 17 minutes you've seen? If you have an absolute love for movies that involve a plucky young <coughs> fired executive, I think she might have been that. <laughs> then sure if you've got time to waste sure it's on disney plus why not if you're interested in where did they come from why not watch it but you will watch this movie and go oh yeah this is paint by numbers uh movies to check your phone by yep (laughs) so i think that concludes our conversation on uh what's your number i have i think it's time to introduce a a a new segment on the show or a new way of selecting our films moving Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. so we're gonna try this out we'll see if we're organized organized enough to keep going this way and this (laughs) is the the armchair producers time machine um uh, we have we're going to we have so what we're going to try and do moving forward is our chain movie Something a little bit more contemporary and a Time Machine movie. Yes. And the Time Machine movie will be a film that was released roughly this week, 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago. Uh, and so it's just a way of sort of delving back into the past and going, what was going on? If we went to the cinema today in 1973 or right this week in 1973, oh. what would we end up seeing? Oh, that makes me feel very old that 70s is 50 years ago. And you, who, who tune into the live stream, the, 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 the loyal watchers, if you're just listening to the <laughs> podcast, this is going to be very entertaining. We're going to spin a wheel. We brought back the wheel, people. Those the of you who wheel. remember, uh, old enough to remember, been around long enough to remember the uh, t- G&T podcast and the Wheel of Heigl. <laughs> best invention ever. ever the wheel of Heigl has been dusted off and here we go i'm gonna spin it we'll see what the third film for next week will be and it's spinning i should have turned the sound on i forgot there we go we're going way back to 1973 day of the jackal day of the jackal oh uh, boy uh, I think it's a spy movie. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Edward Fox, a young Edward Fox, Terence Alexander, Tony Britton, directed by Fred Zinnemann. Um, Man for All Seasons. I've heard of that. High Noon. I've heard of that. From Here to Eternity. His last feature was 1982. Five Days, One Summer. So he's been to England then. Um, Day of the Jackal. 
In the aftermath of France allowing Algeria's independence, a group of resentful military veterans hire a professional assassin codenamed Jackal to kill uh, Presidente Charles de Gaulle. Hmm. I wonder if the uh, Bruce Willis film was a remake of this. The Jackal. Hmm. I don't know. Um, so just a bit of an insight into how I'm doing it. I have a site that has all the release dates. And I'm going to try and pick the more popular films released, mm. you know, uh, around about that time. Because if I pick your super obscure uh, housey one, then the chances of us being able to find a copy uh, might be slightly um, more challenging. So we're going to try and pick the more popular ones uh, just so we can actually have a chance of seeing them. Uh, this one here is available uh, to rent all over the shop. Mm. Ah, so the film began production. Uh, this is um, Bruce Willis's The Jackal. The film began production titled The Day of the Jackal by the author of the original novel, Frederick Forsyth, and the director and producer of the original film, Fred Zinnemann and John Wolfe, opposed the production. There you go. Mm. Um, uh, so, marketed as inspired by. There you uh, go. So we're going back to the 70s next week. So mm -hmm. I sort of thought this might be fun to try this out for a little while. Yeah. See yeah. how this goes if you hate Again, it. Again, a little a bit more structure. I think it's time <laughs> for uh, no, the everyone's favorite segment. Binge Browse Burn. I have a confession. I haven't actually had time to watch any television this week. So I have a suggestion that mm. you take a couple of minutes to talk about what you've been watching TV wise. And I would think everyone would be interested in a few minutes of your impressions of Zelda, uh, Tears of oh, uh, whatever it's about. I that. All right. So the thing that I have watched five episodes of season two of is the recently released season two of Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Now, I did talk about Sweet Tooth previously in season yeah. one. found it um, overall interesting, not without its flaws. Um, and it's very much sticking to that general vein. This is a strong browse um, connecting with Cocaine Bear, Christian Convery, the young boy with the wrestlers um cumberbund as uh captain james uh, captain holt would say from brooklyn 99 um he plays gus the main antlered character of sweet tooth we've got nonce anonzi coming back as big man tommy um adil akhtar is um back as dr singh and perhaps you will know him because he was in four lions as Fessel. Basil, the one who um <laughs> either one of the 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 ira voice <laughs> can i have 12 bottles of bleach please <laughs> <laughs> um who else has it got it's got dana ramirez who most people will probably know from the ooh, history repeating itself period when um the best new show suddenly became bad because of a writer's strike heroes she played um one of the characters in that one of the new ones uh maya 
and she is back. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, this one goes into a little bit more about the origin of um, of Gus and where he came from, why he seems to be a little bit different to the other half-breeds that are out there, as well as um, a little bit more of the post-apocalyptic post world that is in there and the machinations of people who rise to power that should not be in power. It's it's fine. It's 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 all it's borderline good, I would say. Um, this is produced or executive produced by Robert Downey Jr. Apparently, he's a fan of the comic book series that it's based on. Um, I will go back and finish the the set, the rest of season two. Even though there are a lot of young child actors in this, they're generally doing quite well. So they're not overtly annoying or frustrating. The prosthetics and the CGI is good enough. Some of the hybrids look a bit trashy, like like someone who at home drunk one day goes, "Yeah, I can do cosplay." Um, it's it's not that great. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. It kind of serves a bit of a purpose. Netflix haven't got much on their plate right now. They've got the final season of The Witcher coming out later at some nebulous time with um, uh, Henry Cavill before one of the Hemsworth brothers takes over. Uh, beyond that, Stranger Things is on hiatus. Nothing new is being, being written because of the writer's strike. Keep at it, fellas and ladies and everyone who identifies as something else. You deserve more money. Well done. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. It does it does its thing. It does does what it needs to do, and that's it. Um, I also watched another episode of Citadel on um, Prime. Well, Prime, yeah, yeah. It's still very generic, and I'm not interested. I'm not going back for another one because it's boring for an action show. It's boring. It's it's. I'm, I'm not. I'm, that's a, that's a burn for me. To put it in our scale, that is a burn because it doesn't re even really trying to do anything new or unique with any of its source material. It's like, okay, you've clearly got a budget behind this. You've got some talented people involved here, there, and scattered throughout the actors. And uh, like Stanley Tucci is always good value on screen. It just nothing, nothing. There's no fire. There's no fire to it, and it just it's it's boring and dull. And for an action movie, those are the two worst things that you can have. So that's um, a strong browse for Sweet Tooth season two, and a solid burn for Citadel. Now onto the one that I will enjoy talking about, and that is the Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom. The long-awaited sequel to. Now I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a bastard. Yeah, you know, I know if I let you, you'll talk about half an hour about Tears of a Kingdom because I have heard how good this game is. I'm not gonna talk too much because I haven't had a chance to play too much of it. For anyone who enjoyed Breath of the Wild, this is Breath of the Wild done better. Um, it offers so much more, and. It, the amount of creativity that people were doing using the different powers that Link had 
for magnesis and time stops and things like that in Breath of the Wild, Nintendo have very clearly gone, okay, people want more of that. So let's give them powers where they can do that. You can fuse um, items to your weapons to create more reliable weapons because that was one of the things that people didn't like about Breath of the Wild, the, the fact that weapons shattered after a certain amount of usage. You can get a rusted Claymore um, sword and go, you know what? This is uh, maybe two or three on the strength scale. I'm going to fuse it to this boulder and just turn it into a big bloody hammer and do a lot of damage. It's great. You can do it with anything. You can. It's It just adds a lot of flexibility and on-the-fly usage of all of the crap that you have in your inventory. So like, oh, I'm picking up all of the twigs. I'm picking up all of this, all of that. There's so much to collect. Um, and actually something suddenly has a value to it. In the first game, you'd come across all these, um, the bats with the eyes, can't remember their name. Now those have actually a use. You can fuse those to arrows and they become homing arrows. Um, you can fuse um, ooze to, to the ends of them and it'll be lightning or fire or ice. or um, They've got different effects on them. <clears throat> and then there's so many other things that come into it. One of the powers, it allows Link to teleport up into higher areas. And it was apparently a developer tool that they had in Breath of the Wild that they thought, this is actually really fun. And it is because you can kind of morph and swim through to upper levels and it adds a lot of verticality to a game, which has got floating islands in it. So there's tons of verticality and you can literally be in those islands and just jump off and there's no load and you just skydive all the way down. You can go past all other islands. You can stop off at those if you want. You can go all the way to Hyrule and keep going. But then there's an Undercroft, which is the size of Hyrule and it's like hard mode. There's no light, there's gloom, there's all sorts of stuff and it's fantastic. It's amazing. The It's just like, okay, you know what? Here's the kingdom. Here's the kingdom above. Here's the kingdom below. Here are the keys to those kingdoms. We're gonna give you a story to follow and it's actually really quite engaging. The opening sequence to Tears of the Kingdom follows, it follows on from Breath of the Wild. You follow Link and Zelda as they are going down below Hyrule Castle, trying to work out where this gloom is coming from. <clears throat> and it's really good. And then you get into actually playing it. It offers you whatever you want to do. You can fuse things together to create go-karts, to create essentially giant mechs. Everyone at this point has probably seen the giant statue thing with the flamethrower penis. It's a thing you can do. There are not really any limitations on it. There are characters called Koroks, which are these little things that suddenly pop out and go, and they give you a, a mini poo that you can then give to Hestu that helps in increase your inventory size. But one of them, to get to get the poo, you have to reunite with his friend. And you can fuse a rocket to this thing and fire it across the map. 
if you want to do that, you can. If you want to, I've seen some video of um, people uh, fusing them to crucifixes. Yes, there are a lot of things that people are just doing that are obscene and terrible, and I feel really bad for the Koroks because they're just going, Aah! and they cannot die, and they do not live. <laughs> <laughs> the game is beautiful. It is in the same art style as Breath of the Wild. The difference is that it has been created for the Switch on the Switch and is not cross-generational like Breath of the Wild was, where it was quite obviously hamstrung by having to serve that older generation. This one is just a stronger performer. It looks good. Nintendo know how to choose an art style that looks good, that serves the purpose they want to serve, and is going to age gracefully. Think Wind Waker, that cell shading when it first was announced, everyone went nuts and said it was awful and they've killed Zelda. Now we look back on it at the GameCube version and it still looks great. They did an update for it on the Wii U and it, it's like, okay, yep, the, the lines are crisper, but it still looks as good as it did then and it still, and it looks great. Breath of the Wild has got that, that level of artistic style choice and longevity to it. I'm enjoying it. It's great. It's a great game for a portable device where you can play a little bit and put it down and, and then come back to it. There are actual dungeons in this one, which the only real dungeons in Breath of the Wild were the, um, the giant beasts that you went through and they weren't amazing. They were interesting, but there's more diversity this time around. It seems like Nintendo took a lot of the criticisms from Breath of the Wild, which didn't get many, <laughs> it was a very highly rated game. They went, okay, what do people like? What have people been doing with the game since it released? They love the creativity. They love that open world nature. Let's give them more of that. Let's give them more of a story to hang around that as well. Fantastic. It's, uh, it's just been getting rave reviews from everyone who I mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, Nintendo fans or Zelda fans. Yeah. Uh, almost enough for me to make me want to play it if I had time, which I absolutely don't right now. Plus, <laughs> yeah, give it six months, get it for cheaper. No, you won't. It's a Nintendo first-party game. They basically don't go on sale. It's like Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. That was a game that came out on the Wii U, and then it got re-released on the Switch, and it has never once gone below $80. Oh, you're assuming I'd buy it first-hand, right? I could get a, get a second-hand copy. Yeah, but it'll still be about seventy dollars. It's, it's eighty dollars new. Yeah, you won't. No, I guarantee you would be like it'd be cheaper than seventy bucks. Work, dude. <laughs> I know. Oh, I wouldn't buy a those thieves. Um, <laughs> either way, um, I, I just, it's like it sounds like the kind of game you've really got to sink some hours into to get value from it. Yes, the the nice thing about it having less of a requirement of story what story is there is good and it does drive you on but it's not something where if you step away from it for a long period of time you're not coming back to it. it's going oh wait where was i what was i doing that's actually part of the design of the game is you it's designed to distract you a lot so like oh what's that over there i see main stories over there but that thing's moving and it i want to see like a bit like Skyrim was when it came out all those years ago, you know? Yeah. Like, Girl, what, that, what's that thing over there? I'm going to go look at that. Mm, exactly. I, I don't know if I 
beyond the first maybe two hours of Skyrim, I don't know if I ever actually did a main storyline. <laughs> so I just kept on going, ooh, what's this? Uh-oh, dragon. <laughs> but it's great fun. And um, unlike something like The Witcher, or particularly um, with a lot of the more recent Assassin's Creed games where visually they're beautiful and huge open worlds filled with everything. This is a blank map and it's you find these things and it's not like you go up, everything is revealed. Little elements are revealed when you go to the different towers and things like that. And it gives you a bit of topography of the area, but you're not suddenly bombarded with... Bing, 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 bing. so much on the screen that it's just obtrusive and you just go, nah, that's just too much. Bye. I don't want to collect a thon. It's great. Right, Strikes like you're gonna get your, even if I can't get it cheaper, you're going to get your money's worth from it. I think so. I think so. And, you know, there's, you know, there was the story on day of release. Someone speed, uh, sped through it and completed it in 97 minutes, I think, which is for me, that's not fun, but I respect the skill required to do that sort of thing. There's, there's, there is genuine skill needed for that sort of stuff. And they're now saying, oh, if you want to mainline the story and just go through a complete story, average is about 45 hours. That's pretty good. And I ended that's... up about 150 hours in Breath of the Wild and I never bothered going back to actually finish Ganon. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, unsurprising, really. They they don't compromise on quality when it comes to their Zelda games, anyway. Yeah, it's it's rare. The thing that does give me pause because of the success of the Super Mario Brothers movie, the producers of the Z Legend of Zelda are now looking at Legend of Zelda a movie, and it's like, mm, I don't know if I want them to make a Legend of Zelda movie. In the same style, I don't, I, I don't want to see Legend of Zelda partnered with Illumination, and it's the wrong, it's the wrong animation style. I want them to go. You know what? Let's partner up with Studio Ghibli, or someone. Two two D animation would fit Zelda so much better. Uh, I would agree that I can think of it. It was the anim, sort of a traditional sort of Japanese yeah. anime style. Studio Ghibli, really. Aren't they, like, basically defunct now? No, because um, Hayao Miyazaki came out of retirement again and he's got another movie coming out. And there are other directors that have worked for them. Yeah, but basically it's the house Miyazaki built, right? Mm, mostly. For for Western popularization, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, maybe the people who did Your Name, they've got a movie out that's apparently quite good. They love their animation style. Mm. Uh, uh, Makato Shinkai. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to show myself to be a complete weeb now. Um, <laughs> Suzume, it's called. Yeah, I've been needing to go and see it. Yeah, actually, that's the the trailer intrigues me, and their their past productions have been amazing. So did I you see to... Weather? Did you see his other film, Weather with Weather with you? Yeah. So, so good. good. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. That. I think that's the that's bring to the end on a, on a, a sprightly one hour thirty one minutes. That's how we yeah. like it to be. Yeah, it now, helps it, when you only watch fifteen minutes of one of the films. <laughs> See, I only watch fifteen minutes, and we cut fifteen minutes off the show. <laughs>
Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, did want to announce that we will be going to a two-week rotation for the show because life is just too busy and need time to actually watch movies for one thing and not watch them at two times speed. And <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the ADHD of watching movies. It's, just... it's how cousin it sees the world. But yes, we will be going to a two-week rotation from this. So there will not be a show next week, but the week after we will be back with our regular. We will be talking about identity for our chain movie, which follows John C. McGinley from this week's talk radio. We will be talking about Day of the Jackal, which is our time machine movie this week, 50 years ago. Holy crap. And we will choose a more recent release movie for our third, as well as binge browse burn. And Travis has just put in the notes that he is going to suggest air the Ben Affleck directed repairing of himself in the co-starring role with Matt Damon. Matt Damon. It is available to stream now on Prime. Yes, absolutely. We've we've got a couple of options because there were a few that I um, tried to persuade Travis to watch instead of What's Your Name? But, you know, sometimes you just get the trump card and I can't beat it. Well, I won't, I won't plan to do that to you again. I can't promise I won't, but I'll try not to. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you, um, mascot of the show, Richard, for popping in and saying hello. Um, he's more than a mascot. He's a Muppet. I love him. Um, don't forget to follow us on twitch.tv slash armchairproducers, facebook.com slash armchairproducers, YouTube.com slash Fried Productions, at The Fried Brain, at Evil Trav on Twitter. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and good night. Good night.